I'm going to invite up Pastor Sarah, mum, legend, parent of the year. I don't know. I just felt like I had to say that. Um, but yeah, keen to hear you share your, your story, that? Mama. Share some red flags, hey? Yes. Did dad have many? Was the dad one? Was there anything dad had that you're like, oh wow, that's not good? Yeah, country share us music. One. Country, that's a, that's a green flag. But okay. I've now crossed over, so it's okay. It's country okay. music is a green flag. Don't don't. Right, I'm gonna pray for your mama, and then um, we'll let you have it. Hey, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that we can be um, a family here afresh, uh, just people who come together to worship your name and get a chance to praise you and learn more about you. And so we're so grateful for this chance um, to sit here and learn and to fellowship. And I pray that you'll bless us, bless mum, let your words speak through her, that we may hear them in a new way and that we may be changed because of what we hear today, that the word, um, your word may come into our hearts and we may be better um, for you. So thank you. I pray that you would um, bless us all, but yeah, particularly mum, and she speaks to us right now. In your heavenly name we say amen. Thank you, Super Cooper. If you still want a lolly. We are in week number two of our series, Red Flags, a relationship series. And what I love about this series is that we can look at the Bible as not just a book filled with facts and figures, but filled with stories that can have an impact on our relationships right here and now. Lauren started for us last week. She um, defined what a red flag was, and a red flag was a warning signal or sign, something that indicates or draws attention to a problem, danger, or irregularity. Now, I want to just clarify before we go further that I think often when we talk about red flags, we seem to just apply them to a kind of romantic relational setting. But as we go through this series, I want you to understand that red flags are in all types of relationships. We're not just talking about romantic relationships. We're talking about the way you interact with your peers, the way you interact with your colleagues, the relationships you have um, inside your work, outside your work, in your family, in just your neighborhood. So these don't sit here to teen and not attached, so there's nothing in this for me, because there is. Or you might be 45 and go, you know, I'm all good, there's really nothing I can learn. Well, there is stuff that we can learn, and I hope this, um, even if you feel like, you know, this is not an area that I struggle in, I guarantee you'll know someone, um, or you will have seen this red flag before. But I saw this during the week, <clears throat> Um, I, I, as I was doing my research, someone had um, linked this little clip and I, was, I just looked at it because, you know, when you, you just like go down rabbit holes of things, but I, I love this. Have a look at this little clip and see if you can understand the red flag moment. Oh, great. Hey, someone else likes you cooking. We got a fly in here. Oh, uh, Angela, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh. Oh. Hey, you got him! Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> wow, good hands. All right. Um, oh, it's okay. I got it. Okay, I'll be. I'll put this down. How great is she? She's pretty great, right? Yeah, not bad, big top. <laughs> oh, Robert, I am so happy for you. She is terrific. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You see, I made her laugh a couple times. Yeah, you're hilarious. Go. <laughs> 
Can you believe this? Mom consents when I'm having a good time and she's here to kill it. Listen, Robert, just relax. It'll be fine. Look, if Angela really is the one, she's going to have to meet your parents at some point. You might as well get it over with. Right, Ray? <laughs> she's not the one. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it there. I love, uh, like, I love when I watch movies or things like that. I love just, like, having this little notebook in my head of lines that you can keep for forever, like, that's gone straight to the pool room and things like that. So I've just gifted you a line when you see something like that. It can just be a, she's not the one, um, for future reference. So you're welcome. Um, but, yes, that's the context of that is a romantic setting, but reminding you that... Red flags are there, and um, the Bible actually talks about them, and um, we can learn from them. I don't know if it's just you or if there are some other people in here who have ever scrolled, been scrolling, you know, like imagine just sitting there wasting time scrolling on your phone, um, and you've been either looking at Facebook or Instagram, and then all of a sudden a reel comes up or something like that you're a little bit interested in, and then you have a look at that, and then I don't know how it happens, but all of a sudden you end up, you know, being walking through random billionaire in Dubai's their houses or watching a guy that stops people on the street and goes, now break down your outfit and tell me everything that, you know, what you've got on, who it's made by and how much money you have. Am I the only one? Has someone else done this? Okay, I'm not the only one. But... When you think about how obsessed we have become as a race of, you know, achieving focus on ourselves, we have become quite a selfish people. And there's a few statistics that I wanted to show you um, from a really amazing book called Good Dream. And they have these, they're American, but it says 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. All about you. A further 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things that you most desire. And 91% affirm this statement, to find yourself, look within. There is an epidemic of worshipping self. In fact, you can make a case that self-worship is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And surprise, but our Bible shows us that it's one of the oldest. And if you turn to Genesis 3, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to read a little account of someone who chose the desire to have self-glorified um, over uh, letting God be the one that they glorified. It says in Genesis 3, chapter 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made were in the Garden of Eden. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Or even touch it, if you do, you will die. And the serpent replies, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. 
The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it contained and would give her. So she took some fruit and ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The choice to put our own desires over promised, trusted wisdom is so great and it's something that we still struggle with today. Selfishness and self-absorption. When we focus all about us, when our world, I've said it a few times um, in our household and to random students as we're chatting over some issues, just reminding them that, you know, I know you might think so, but you don't live in a world of one. When you speak, when you behave, it affects more than just you. You are not isolated. Your words, your actions are not neutral in this space. When you do something, when you say something, you make a choice in that moment, and that choice displays what you were thinking of. Were you thinking of the people around you? Were you thinking of the future consequences? Or were you just looking out for self? Was yourself the number one priority when you were thinking that? and when you were going over that. And in a few minutes, we're going to look at a tiny passage in Timothy where he raises this selfish thinking as an almighty red flag for us. It's a red flag in how we're behaving in our relationships, and it's a red flag when we, when we see that in other people. It's something that we need to pay attention to and go further. Now, this selfishness, this religion of self, um, has, you know, like we do, its own set of commandments. And today, we've got six of them. So the religion of self, six commandments. The first one is, your mind is the source and standard of truth, so no matter what, trust yourself. Hashtag, the answers are within. Number two, your emotions are authoritative, so never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag follow your heart. You are sovereign, so flex your omnipotence and bend the universe around your dreams and your desires. Live your truth. You are supreme, so always act according to your chief end to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. You only live once. You are the very standard of goodness, so don't let anyone oppress you with the antiquated notion of being a sinner who needs grace. Hashtag never change. You are the creator, so use that limitless creative power to craft your identity and purpose. Hashtag authenticity. This is things that you can Google any of these and you'll just see it all over the internet. You'll find books in self-help sections of um, bookstores and libraries that subscribe to this kind of thinking. But when Paul writes a letter to his young leader, Timothy, in Ephesus, he, he raises a red flag over this kind of thinking. 
And he says to us that it's really important that we get an understanding of this is not the way we were created to live. So I want you to turn for me in, we're going to stay in 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 5. So a little um, passage, this is all we're going to look at today, but we want to break this up and then apply it for us. So Paul is writing to you know, his young associate who is leading a church where obviously this kind of selfish thinking is coming into play in that new formed Christian environment. And Paul says, hang on, you need a little bit of help. Let me give you some advice as a leader here. Let's have a look at some of these red flags. It starts off in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will be having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people." And you might read that passage and go, well, have nothing to do with those kind of people. Well, like, if you're going to have nothing to do with those kind of people, you'd, you'd have to just not be on this earth. And that's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying, you know, shun anyone that doesn't live up to your standard. What he's saying is this kind of behavior, don't have anything to do with this. When you look at people that are currently in your church congregations and you see them when it goes on into the rest of this chapter, you see these kind of people using their kind of spiritual prowess to draw other members of the Christian church into this way of thinking. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen. Don't let your church become like this is what we worship rather than what um, God has laid out for us. So we're going to go through um, the different sections of this one. So we're going to have a look at the first one, the first sentence, the first verse. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, some of you will hear the words last days, and you'll think that these, this term last days refers to the days that immediately precede the second coming of Jesus Christ. But that thought um, is proved in the scripture that that is not what they are saying, these New Testament writers. They're not saying that last days is going to be this far off event that you need to be terrified of and you know what, all of this rubbish is going to happen then. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, you can see that in Hebrews, in Peter and in Acts, all talks about last days in, the, in their present tense. It's written in the present tense. And what they are saying is that when Jesus came to this earth, he heralded the beginning of the last days. Those times between when he came the first time and when he comes the second time, that's the time that we get to live in. It's the time where he, the space between when God sent his son 
filled with promises to us that he will return victoriously. It's in that gap that we live. And it's in that gap that Timothy was ministering to his local church. They called the last days because in them God is completing his purpose for his people. And in Hebrews, Corinthians, Peter, and Acts, you can read further if you want to understand that notion of last days beginning when Jesus enters the earth and ending when he returns. Not a space or time where we should be incredibly fearful, but an acknowledgement of the world that we currently live in. I don't think we can look at this and go, wow, that's so far-fetched. We don't see any of that yet. That's just a whole weird scariness that may come in the future. I think we can see this. There's evidence of this in our world now. And Paul is saying to Timothy, just be aware of the times that we live in. We're living in opposition to this great movement, to the workings that Jesus has left for his followers to do. And there's people that want to send a wrong message about who he is. We live in the gap. And how are we going to deal with tough times? What do we do in these moments? Paul is saying to Timothy, don't get sucked into thinking it's all about you in these moments. And then he goes on. And this is, you know, there's 19 of them, actually. Um, <laughs> 19 characteristics that we can expect in people um, in this time. And to me, I'm, I'm happy to confidently look at this list and go, there's 19 red flags right there. Um, when I'm looking at relationships, if these come creeping into my relationships, then there's some red flags for me. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Seen that for like 22 years. No, just kidding. <laughs> just threw that in. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Four of the 19 of these expressions, when you look at the original language, are compounded with a little word, fill, meaning love, suggesting that what is fundamentally wrong at the, at the bookend of these things is that their love is misplaced. There's a great love, but it's a great love that's been misplaced onto themselves. There's a great love that's been misplaced onto money and there's a great love that's been misplaced and given over to the desires of their own heart and not the desires of what God has planned for them. And Paul is letting Timothy know that's a red flag. In your relationships with one another, it's a red flag in your business dealings. It's a red flag when you sit across the table with your family members and these characteristics creep into the way we Christians deal and interact with each 
other. And in verse 5, Paul moves on to describe a kind of worship that looks right, that looks like everything's happening, but is, has no substance. There's nothing to it. It leads to a place where religion is not entirely denied. People will still acknowledge it, but it becomes an empty shell He's describing people that may go to church, may say amen, may get up and sing the songs, but within deep inside of them, there's not a heart movement that is moving towards God. Self is still reigning in that place, even though outward appearance makes everything look like they are following God. And Paul is saying, don't let this creep into your relationships with each other. It's a red flag. When you start thinking about yourself more than the people you are with, that's a red flag. And in particular, in this verse, when you start thinking about yourself more than your God in your relationship with him, it's a red flag. He finishes with a call to have nothing to do with these people. And like we explained before, he's not saying shun them, but he's saying as you coordinate your Christian church, as you look at how you build this church, continue on. These followers, lead them in to continue following Jesus Christ and growing your church in this space and time when we're waiting for Christ's second coming. Don't let this selfishness creep in to how we do life. Don't be part of a self-absorbed self Christianity. It's not about us. And in fact, only the gospel offers the radical solution to this problem of self. For only the gospel promises a new birth, a new creation, which involves being turned inside out and turns our values and priorities upside down where the wants and needs of other people are more important than the wants and needs for ourselves. It's a reorientation of priorities. That's what the gospel does for us. Then when God is first and self is last, we love the world and we seek him like he's asked us to. In fact, Jesus made it very, very clear where our love motivation should be, where the direction of our love should be. So Matthew 22, verse 37 and 39 reminds us of this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love him first with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength our neighbor next, and our self last. If we reverse the order of the first and the third, putting our self first and God last, our neighbor in the middle is bound to suffer. When we make our Christianity about us 
and less about God, the world around us who we have been commissioned to reach and share the good news with, they are the people that miss out. They are the people that are shortchanged in this space. I love this um, and use things. But if we start worshipping ourselves, we will ignore God, start loving things, and using people. I can see that. I've experienced that. We've got some year 12s, obviously, in the house. Yay, thank you for getting out of bed. Um, and they're preparing. Every time I see one of them, I'm like, have you got your formal dress? Are you getting ready for formal? And look, believe it or not, and it was so not in the far, far distance, but in the very, very short-term distance ago, it was my formal. And um, I remember at the time, um, I was best friends with Christopher. Um, we had been best friends all through high school. He was so much less drama than the other girls in my, um, my big state high school in Bundaberg. Christopher and I were best friends. So it was us two. And then there was like three or four of, you know, kind of our little posse and we did everything together. Our school had a radio. Um, so we kind of ran the radio at lunchtimes and um, we, which, you know, when you say it like that, could be somewhat geeky-ish, but we weren't. Um, but um, we also did drama. Ooh, okay. Um, but we loved it. I loved drama. I loved theatre. And um, we, we had a great time at high school. And it was never asked... But it was just always agreed, thought of, said in concrete that Christopher and I would go to the formal together. He never did the, you know, the promposal that I've had to witness a few of. He, there, that never happened. There was just this unspoken understanding that we were absolute best, best friends, so we were going to the formal together. Of course, we'd spoken casually about, you know, what colour suit you're wearing because, you know, I don't want you to clash with my awesomeness um, in this dress. So he was wearing a blue tie, so um, I went down in Bundaberg and, you know, got my blue dress and we were ready to go to the formal. We talked about the car that we were taking um, and all of that. Now, in the few weeks leading up to the formal, you know, just out of the blue, there was just this random other guy that like when he walked past, there was like this mm -hmm, kind of moment with. And, you know, then I saw that when he walked past me, there was kind of like a uh-huh, kind of, and I'm like, okay, like, mm-hmm, and uh-huh, that could turn into something. And, um, you know, I just all of a sudden was spending a little less time with my friendship group and, um, you know, a little more time with this guy that I'm like, actually, you know, of course, he's the one. Kick um, out of the formal. And, and this guy that I liked, he already had a date for the formal, so, you know, even though there was a like, oh, I like you, oh, you like me, isn't that wonderful kind of moment going on, um, you know, I was still going to the formal with Christopher, it was all amazing. And then this guy comes up to me one day at lunchtime at school and he says, um, what would you say if I told you that I'm not going to the formal with that other girl that I was going to anymore? I told her I'm not going. And I just went, 
Um, I'd 100% say that I'm coming with you. I know, right? (laughs) I feel the judgment from this end of the room. (laughs) It's a dog move, right? 100% dog move. That, you know, but to make you all feel a little bit better, formal was rubbish. The date that I went with, like, I didn't end up dating him in the end, and he just, he just ignored me the whole night. <laughs> it was just really, really bad. No, but look, seriously, stuff happens, and I get that, and that's okay. People change their minds, circumstances change, and I'm not saying that was the mistake that I made, because stuff happens, and that's okay. The mistake that I made was... I actually really didn't even have a conversation with Christopher. So the real big mistake for me was when Christopher comes up to me and says, hang on, I heard you're going to the formal with such and such. And I had to do the whole, well, yeah, I am. Like, I don't know what came over me. It's just formals are a heady time. You know, you spend a lot of money on the dresses, your hair. But in that moment... It wasn't a calculated decision that I had sit there and gone, is this going to work for me? Is there something, is there some barrier that's not okay? Because I'm not saying here, and I don't think Paul is saying here, do you know what? Absolute own feelings or thoughts or what's going on. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying is the focus should be on thinking of other, think your decisions through. Think about the impact that this is going to make with someone else, not like me who just went, man, in that moment when he asked me to go to the formal, like all of a sudden it's like Christopher was vaporized from this earth and didn't even exist anymore. Like that's what I'm talking about. That kind of, I'm not even thinking about the world around me and I'm making Christopher and my two other friends had an amazing time at the formal. I did not. Um, I even at the last minute for this guy changed the dress that I always wanted. I loved the dress I had, but he said, well, I've, I'm wearing maroon and a maroon tie. So I made my mum take my dress back and get me a new dress that was nowhere near as good as the original one. So anyway, like, but they're all, we all have moments where that little self without thinking self comes to the forefront. And we're going to make mistakes like that. And it's not tragically the end of the road. But in this context of Christian living, Paul is saying to Timothy, urge the congregation around you, urge the people around you to understand that we need to have our focus on Jesus Christ. We need to be not in a religion where we worship ourselves, where what we think and do is the most important thing. We are living in the space and time between when Jesus came as God's son to sacrifice for us and waiting for his second coming. And how are we going to, rep, going to represent him in this space and time in our world? How are you going to show up? How do we show up in our relationships, in our families, with our story, that we love God with all of our hearts and souls and minds and we love our neighbours and we care for them? And when I make a decision, I'm aware that what I do and say is not neutral. It has a consequence that goes beyond me. We don't live in a world of one. In fact, 
Christ specifically asked us to go away from that and go to the far ends of the earth to share with him the good news of how much we are loved and how much we are valued and how he wants to spend eternity with us. So my challenge to you for this holiday break, for the next week, is to be able to assess within yourself, think about where am I placing God on the continuum of importance in my life? Am I spending more time focusing on what I want and my desires and what I want to get out of life and where my future is heading according to my plans? Or have we left space for God in that? Have we left space for him to come in and be our redeemer God that turns our life around, turns the way we value things upside down? Let me pray with you. Father God, we thank you for stories that we can learn from. Lord, we thank you for your warning about not allowing our lives to be consumed with self and pushing out space and time for you. As we wait for your return, God, help us to be a people that reflect your value on others, that we love others. And in the times when we worried about ourselves or stressed about moments for ourselves, that we reach for you and cling to you as the God that we can trust to help us move through circumstances and times where we need you. Lord, help us to be selfless and a beautiful in this world in your son, Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we've not got that right. And Lord, pray that as we move forward from today that we can prioritize being with you and spending time with you. In your name, amen. Thank you so much, Sarah. I know that I can't speak for everyone here, but that definitely spoke to me this morning. So thank you. We are now going to sing um, our final song, The Stand. Um, You are welcome to as well.
We were never ever designed to worship something so small as ourselves. We were created to worship a huge God, to walk outside in the sunshine and stand in awe of all that He has done for you personally. I pray, we pray today that you can walk out of here with an understanding of how much you are loved and how much God wants to display Himself in your life.